0: The Project Upland Podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. Hey, what's up everybody? Nick Larson with the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the show this week. We have an excellent show for you. As always, we will get to it very shortly. Just want to mention a couple things right off the bat. I uh, hope everybody had a Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. It's that week right now between Christmas and New Year's, so... Uh, hopefully a slow time, relaxing time for everybody. Spend time with family and friends and uh, enjoy it before we turn the page on 2017 and, and uh, move into a new year, which should bring some great things for uh, Project Upland, and that's uh, that's a good segue to the next thing I want to mention. Uh, Kickstarter campaign. I've mentioned it the last couple weeks. If you're following Project Upland, you've probably seen it online. It is... I just checked the page. We are at seventy-one hours to go in the campaign and we're well over well over ninety percent funded. I, I think I think there was roughly twelve or thirteen hundred dollars left to meet uh, our goal the last time I checked. So uh, you could donate anything you want, any amount you want. You've gotta do a minimum of twenty five dollars to reserve your copy of the book A Bird Hunter's Anthology. It's gonna be an awesome book. Full of the excellent Project Upland photography that you've come to expect. Got writing contributions from a lot of people. uh, Some Project Upland contributors as well as some outside sources. It's going to be excellent content. Go to the Kickstarter page. Go to kickstarter.com. Look up Project Upland. It's all there. AJ put together a neat video that really explains well uh, what we're trying to do with this project. And we're almost there. Almost reached uh, the funding for this project. I think we're going to make it... uh, Like I said, minimum of $25 to reserve your copy of the book and help support the cause. 71 hours to go. Go check that out for sure. Uh, And then lastly, before we jump into the interview, I just wanted to remind everybody that we always appreciate listener feedback, uh, be it just general feedback, commentary on past episodes, uh, but also especially suggestions that you have. Uh, guests that you think we should interview, sponsors that you'd like us to talk to about gear or, uh, you know, products, innovation in the industry, all that sort of stuff, whatever you want to hear about. uh, I want to hear about that from you because we can make the show better with, with the feedback of our listeners. And and that's been one of our goals from the start. So you can always contact us via the project Upland website. There should be a contact form there and that, Information usually gets filtered through to me and some of the other guys that are involved with the show and working on booking guests and stuff. Uh, you can also email me directly, Nick Larson at northwoodscollective.com. com. Always appreciate your feedback. Uh, it, just this last week, I got an email from a guy that he's he said he he hunts grouse in in one of the southeast states. Which, if you're familiar or not familiar, the, the grouse population there has is not it's really just a, a shell of what it, what it used to be, what it, what, what it once was. And, uh, so there's, there's a lot of depressed old grouse hunters down there that, that are, are used to a certain level of hunting and it's just not there right now. And, and we feel for them. Absolutely. And, and, uh, he, he said he was in a very depressed state about the the state of upland hunting. And he tuned into a couple of podcasts and was reading some of the posts online and, and said it kind of rejuvenated him and, and, made him feel good that there were other people out there that cared about, you know, the the same things that he was passionate about. And I think that's really, a, it's a common thread amongst listeners and readers and followers of Project Upland just to know that there are so many other people out there that are passionate about these things. You know, you're not alone, whether you're having a good season, a bad season, a terrible season. There's other people out there that are probably going through the same things, and, and at Project Upland we try to be a, try to be a you know a melting pot for all those people to come together and share their thoughts and ideas and and that just kind of leads into uh feedback from our listeners and and you know we love to hear that kind of stuff because hey, if we can get somebody to if somebody enjoys an episode of the podcast or a blog post or an article and gets inspired to go do something or you know pick up a new hobby a new bird to hunt that's the kind of stuff that that we're all about and we want to see that continue to happen so Uh, Please let us know and and always don't hesitate to share your upland hunting stories and anything else you have for us We appreciate that at project Upland. so with all that said, let's get into today's interview Uh, It was a fun one for me today got to interview a good friend of mine His name is pat flanagan and he is the owner and operator of border to border outfitters. They are a guiding and outfitting service that uh, Pat started and currently runs um, from border to border. The name is pretty self-explanatory. He essentially guides uh, from the northern border of Minnesota and Canada to the southern border of Arizona and Mexico. Uh, not necessarily everywhere in between, but uh, but he guides up here in Minnesota and he and he's down in Arizona right now, and he's got a spot uh, in the middle where he stops and guides for a little bit in between. Uh, so we talk about all that stuff. We talk about his business, border-to-border Border outfitters, uh, some of, you know, how he got into it and, and some of his challenges and his struggles and, and his plans for the future and, and where he's at. We'll, we touch on, touch on a little bit of his grouse season in Minnesota, try to talk a lot about uh, quail hunting down in Arizona. Uh, so I think you'll enjoy that. And I think that's all I need to say. So without any further ado, please welcome to the Project Upland podcast my friend and guest today. Pat Flanagan of Border to Border Outfitters. Alright, Pat Flanagan, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. How are you, my friend?
1: Very good. How are you, Nick?
0: I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. It's uh it's my pleasure to have you on the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, you are well, why don't you tell us where 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 are we talking to you from, Pat?
1: Um, just south of Sierra Vista, Arizona. Um, which is pretty much southeast of Tucson. Um, just just got into a brand new place on eight acres, kinda of we're calling it our little ranch, you know, the start to something. Even better than uh where we're at today. There's a future now we can build with a base and that's been, you know, my goal for the last three years is to is to have something that I can call home and uh we have that here now.
0: Excellent. So yeah, house house on the border to uh, set up set up uh, base camp slash headquarters for border to border Outfitters. That's awesome. So you moved in, and uh, you, as we were talking before, you mentioned you've got uh, you got quail in the backyard, right?
1: Oh yeah, yep. We have eight acres, and uh, four acres is just kind of habitat. We'll use that for training and just kind of really, you know, keep the feel of you know Arizona. Uh, a lot of mesquite and grass and the gambles quail just just every night it's the same same tune and they fly right through the chain gang of dogs uh onto the roosting area it's funny <laughs>
0: all right man well before we uh before we jump into things uh you were you were out chasing quail today right let's uh let's hear a little bit of recap of you, you know your last couple of days in the fields because i know you've been you spent some time out so for people that are interested in what's going on uh, Az Quail, honey, this will be a little update for him.
1: Right. Yeah. So um, the weather—it's been dry, um, just like it has everywhere else. But today we had a winter storm that came in in the middle of the night and kind of lasted into a about a late morning. Snow on the tips of the mountains, and then a lot of a lot of rain, which we need. Obviously, Arizona just feeds on rain, and the winter rains here you know make for gambles and quail uh habitat and hatch and then um the merns quail looking for more of the summer rain but anyways we took advantage of that and went ahead and took some dogs out and really what we we're just trying to do is have a good time it's sunday i almost guide every single day of the season and uh to be able to go out with your friends or a friend and, and mix and match some dogs and see who pairs up nice. I used it as training. I mean, every day is how do I make myself better? Because tomorrow I have two customers coming in and uh I want to perform. But, I, you know, every day off I'm either scouting or making a dog better. Today was just about seeing what dogs we could pair up and then go out and enjoy a Sunday. And it really worked out good. Oh, we put up three coveys and took four birds and it was, it was a place that I really don't guide in. So it was kind of personal as far as like the gratitude behind it, like some of the most steepest, canyonest, just crazy cuts that we have to offer. But for me, that's what I look for when I have time alone and then to see what dogs and they did. They performed. Um, I figured out, you know, I'm always figuring out like Belichick. You know, you got to be a coach. I got ten dogs to coach, so it's like, who's pairing up nice today, or who's gonna pair up nice this week? Uh, I got a bitch in heat, so that changes things. Um, There's a lot of different aspects in Arizona quail hunting where sometimes we want somebody to go out and find the birds for us, and sometimes we want to just walk behind a nice walking dog and, and and really watch it work. So. Pairing up dogs like that is really kind of an enjoyment because it's it's like chess, you know? Like you, you're really trying to, you're strategy planning for how that dog might work the field, but then you're also thinking what the counter is, um, what kind of customer do I have? Uh, what kind of train do I have? And then uh, watching it all come together for that particular customer, you know? I don't believe in luck. There's no, I'm Irish as it gets, but I mean, there's (laughs) no luck in this. I have none of it, you know, like it, it's gotta be proven and, uh, it's always fun. So we got some new dogs this year and that's been a joy. You know, I made a bird dog the other day, you know, made a bird dog today and, uh, those are dogs that probably end up running uh, on the guide string, you know, closer to the middle of January. So that was what was today. was all about, um, so we had, you know, we had some really nice chubby flushes, the Merns Coil. They hold so tight. And it, it, it was just the clouds were into the canyon, so there was, like, this low ceiling. And I knew right away we had to get up. We got some good photos. Um, just all in all, man, it was a it's the kind of day you want to have. Um, they can't all be like that, but I think if I keep doing the, the groundwork, then more often than not, we're we're going to have those days almost every day with boots on the ground, you know, down here. So, yeah, yep, absolutely. We're pretty yeah, blessed. We've had the rains, we have the birds. It's not guaranteed in Arizona. It's a desert and there, there may be a year where, you know, it's not like this. So we're also kind of reaping what good is, you know, and I'm a little green to know what bad is. So I hope, hopefully it doesn't go to my head when things start to turn around, but it's been a really good season so far i've guided i've only guided a few days i mean if uh see i've been out i've been out four days uh since the start of mern's quail season and this is my only break for the whole season i'm even guiding christmas new year's all the way to the 11th so it's pretty demanding this was my chance to get the dogs fattened up paired up who's going to run with who and then and then go but we've uh we've done good cubby size is is big this year um, I know the conditions aren't ideal, um, for the guys that come down thinking it might be like it was last year or the year before. Things just kind of changed this year. I've seen grass up to my chin and that's not, that's not common. It's just, there's less cattle out there and, uh, we've had the monsoon rains the last three years, which provided the number of birds that we're, we're blessed with. But, um, it, it's, it's not guaranteed like it has been in the past, um, but we've done good, you know. We've our customers have got some got some good activity, and we've harvested some birds. So I have no complaints. I think we're on pace for a a really solid year. Good, good. That's excellent to hear. Um,
0: yeah. We'll uh we'll talk a little bit more about uh, about quail hunting specifically um, later. I was just going to comment that yeah, you you, uh, you mentioned you were hunting some steep cover, and you sent me some uh, some pictures and some video. Uh, definitely beautiful, beautiful country, and uh, and the dogs were the dogs were pointing uphill, and and I could clearly see in the video you were hoofing uphill to get to get up to those points. So, you guys uh you guys were hunting some steep country today. That was cool. Um, all right, I'm gonna rewind a little bit. We're gonna uh, I wanna talk about because you you know for people that don't know Pat Flanagan, border to border Outfitters, it's guided outfitting service. Um, you didn't you didn't wake up one day and start that business, you know, it was a journey. And, uh, even before the business side of things, I want to go back a little bit to sort of your upland hunting story. I try to ask everybody this and, and if you could just kind of go into, you know, who, who were your mentors, if any, uh, what led you down the path to upland hunting and, and sort of how has it, how has it brought you to this point in your life so far?
1: Well, um, so I think you kind of want to, I think you're asking, you'd like to hear you know, how it started, basically. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I got my first Brittany spaniel, um, in third grade. My dad brought it home. His name was Kelly. It was a brother of the litter. And, uh, that dog kind of became my world. You know, you go home from school and we lived in an area that had I guess they were. there would have been like a development, like houses and everything was going up fast and rapidly. And, and so like to have this patch of land that, that was looking, had a water hole and, and it was just like, I felt like I was in the country. And so I'd take that dog out and run it. Yeah, there was no birds in that field, but I, I, I pretended there was, you know. And then that's when I, I realized, you know, like running dogs was, was awesome. So then. You know, there was Brittany after that, and one after that, and and, and as I grew older, I realized, you know, these things, like, do what you want them to do if you have a bond, and that's where I'm at today. Like, uh, it's not, it's it's about what the dogs do, like, the belief in you. So, to go back, you know, I went to short hairs from there, and then I, I realized they swim, you know, and then... But then the problem hit was we moved a lot, and next thing you know, I was out of my life. Um, it took me, I think, well, I joined the Navy in 1997 after high school graduate. Um, went right away. I was I was itching to go. Um, I did my time there. I was playing professional handball a little bit. Like, it was kind of coming into form. And I went to school down in southwest Missouri in a college um, SMS in Springfield. And then I spent, I think I was probably 26 years old, um, played handball, coached handball after uh, my eligibility was up, but I was always on the grind to work, you know. And it wasn't until... I did a roofing storm. That's, that's what paid the bills. Um, I've been roofing since 15 and an adjuster that had adjusted an Arabian horse farm where they had overpaid me. And I was like, man, I can't take this. I sent them back the, the money that I, that, that was overpaid, which it was just, it was too much. I couldn't accept it. And so that adjuster went to a little town in St. Francis, Kansas. And they needed somebody to roof their community, and they didn't have the workforce, but they wanted somebody that they could trust, and that was honest. That little decision I made that day changed my life. In 2008, I did 105 roofs in a little town in, in Kansas, and they took me pheasant hunting. And let's see, I am 26 years old. Um It was my... I loved every minute of it, but I, I could never continue it with the, with the living conditions, like apartments, you know, just hunting left. And so that's when Hank started. I mean, we went out and we shot birds over labs, and it was great. And I realized, man, I want to do this again all the time. I'm not playing handball anymore, you know. I had done had to give it up. And now I realize that these dogs are athletes and I can be their coach, and, but I still have to be in shape to run alongside of them, so in 2008, I got Hank, Jackson came soon after, and Rita and Tommy, and and then the business was born, I realized, I realized that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a hunter that just wants to go out with a few dogs, I want to see what, you know, I, I wanted to take it to the, to the next level, I mean, I'll blatantly say that um so I did and I hooked up with a guy that uh was my mentor and he I had actually called him in 2008 asking about Mern's quail and he told me to take a hike kid and so I called him and I wanted to work for him I wanted to work for him and then finally three years ago he gave me the opportunity um so I take care of his customers as well as mine and that was pretty much how I survived. So now I got a business and we're going out to work every day. Um, There really is no middle story. (laughs) You know, I guess I did wake up one day and become, (laughs) become a guy because like I had nothing to go off of other than the fact that I spent so much time out there. I was living in the national forest for two years, you know, not a transient. I was just, I was just, I chose it, you know, like, I chose it, but I chose it to do it well, you know. Good, clean living, clean clothes, healthy dogs. But I just knew that I wasn't going to be able to to live a lifestyle where I need to sign a lease and I got to keep, you know what I mean? In order for me to do this business, I realized I had to be in the field with my boots on the ground, marking cubbies with my tech too, you know. And once I felt I had enough cubbies, I started the job. And I still don't quit. There isn't, a, there isn't an off day. People, what do you do in the off season? Well, I'm like this business hasn't been given to me. There is no guarantees that those birds from last year are going to be in this spot. I have to have a backup plan on a backup plan. And if you're going to invest your time and money into me, I better be darn sure confident in what I do. So I decided to go on the road for two and a half years. Um... Two years of it was in a a spike tent and a year and a half later I got a a wall tent and two years later I got the 1971 Avion uh, camper shell out of a farm in Kansas. So that was a bonus, like hilt on wheels. And so we had a lot of fun with that, but it was a, it was a good struggle to get to where we are today. And now, and now I'm here sitting in a home talking to you.
0: That's awesome, Pat. That's, uh, it's, it's a cool story. Like I said, it's kind of a journey. You know, you and I have, uh, you and I have, uh, we spent a few days together, a few days in the woods in, uh, in northern Minnesota, and I've gotten to know you a little bit. So I, I know some of that, but I think it's, uh, I think it's cool to, to share. Um, I want to ask you about, so, you could have, when you started this guided business, you know, you, you, it sounds like you really started, uh, with quail. Covey's a quail in Arizona. So, what, what, where did the decision come from to not just be Arizona quail guy? Where, how did border to border come from? Because for I guess we haven't we haven't talked about it specifically. But you you basically start your season in northern Minnesota and guide on rough grouse and woodcock, and then you move south all the way down to Arizona. So you can you can talk about that and sort of tell people what your season consists of, really.
1: Okay, so that's good. Good question to ask. And so I'm from Minnesota. Minnesota is my home. Um, Some of the first birds that I've hunted were grouse. It wasn't until four years ago that I even knew what a woodcock was. And I think there's a lot of people in that same boat, but when they found them, wow, (laughs) they found something special. But so leaving roofing in Kansas, I ended up back in Arizona, which was, I was born in Phoenix. Um, at St. Joseph's, but I went to did, I, I went to, to Minnesota kindergarten through my senior year in high school. And that's my home. Um, my family has, we have roots in St. Paul. My uncles are in the world boxing hall of fame, kind of like, you know, everybody in St. Paul knows, you know, I mean, they watched them on Paps Blue Ribbon fights and, um, you know, they, they fought the garden out East and they just, you know, we're talking about world-class fighters. And so I wasn't going to make my roots there as far as my base because it it just doesn't lead to longevity. You know, I need to run dogs 12 months out of the year. But how do I survive on two and a half months of quail hunting? It's not going to (laughs) happen, right? So, like, I don't feel border to border was ready to guide quail the last two years in Minnesota. It took me till three days before. Yeah. Rough grouse in Minnesota. I was not ready. I mean, there was no, in the back of my mind, I needed more time. And it wasn't till three days before our trip last year that I knew I was ready. And then this year kind of sealed the deal on that. Um, actually was really proud of what we were able to accomplish this year in conditions where, you know, bird numbers were set to be 56 degrees up, but we realized that we weren't really near that number. Was it, was it, did it make for anything negative in the grouse woods? No. It was still a great experience. And we still had woodcocks. Um, so therefore, you know, I mean, I had to come back home, but I had to be ready for it.
0: Yep. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, that's, that, that's kind of the, the, the additional piece there that, that I was curious about is, is how that, how that kind of worked its way into the business model. And, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I will just say for folks out there, if they're wondering, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're ready to, you're ready to guide rough Cross in Minnesota. Now I, uh, I'm familiar with the area that you got in. I've been hunting up there for a lot of years, and it's a good area. But we went out into uh, we got to spend an afternoon together this fall, and man, we hunted some absolutely beautiful, beautiful grouse cover. And it was it was still early in the season, and we had some of that warmer weather, and things were kind of shaking out odd as we've sort of talked about at length on other episodes of this podcast. But man, the cover that we hunted was absolutely phenomenal, and it's for people looking for a rough grouse hunt that's a it's a good place to do it for sure.
1: Yeah, there's, there's longevity there. You know, I mean, there really is. There's, a, uh, I I keep learning too every day. You know, like even this yeah. year, I mean, I was, I'm going to be more prepared next year just from what I learned as I shut the season down, um, almost too early in October. Um, but yeah, so it to, and and then to go back, one thing I like to, I mean, border to border outfitters started on the border of Minnesota. Be, not for upland hunting, but I wanted to take people into the Boundary Waters canoe area. I mean, that's really how it started. And then I realized, well, I don't have a place for these dogs when I start to go paddle in. So, <laughs> like, maybe I should just focus on the dogs. And so that's that's it.
0: Yeah. All right. Good deal, man. So, all right. So we've got the borders established. We're you, You've got in Rough Grouse in northern Minnesota and Woodcock, Quail in Arizona. What's in the middle? Because I know that you don't just go right from Minnesota to Arizona. What's uh, what's that middle piece of the season?
1: That's it's a, a short, special, very special place. Um, that was actually brought to me from a guy on Instagram that said, "Hey, there's a there's a great place that you could take advantage of that that I think needs you, and it's got shelf life, and so." Court Ranch in Goodland, Kansas. It's just east of Goodland, Edson. The place is historic. I mean, it's it's small. I mean, we got 4,000 private acres, all wild birds. Um It's the setting. I mean, you are basically when you show up in your car and you park it and I tell you, "Hey, there's no phone service, there's no internet, and really, you know, you're just going to hunt, go to bed, maybe hang out have dinner. And everybody's okay with it. You kind of go back in time. You know, there's just, it's bare bones. But, it's absolutely scenic. I mean, Custer was on the property. There was the, the, the Kidder massacre that happened. And, uh, there's just all this U.S. civilization that just happened right there. And I'm blessed to be able to, hunt people on this property for wild pheasants during the Kansas season. And I'm not telling you, it's like South Dakota. No, you're going to work for it. You're going to work, you're going to walk, you're going to grind, but you're going to enjoy yourself, and uh, you're going to be in some beautiful country. And the birds are truly wild. Um, this was the first year that I really went after it, And I still toned it down because I have to leave, you know, right in the first early December to guide in, in Arizona. So I'm not really taking advantage of only maybe three weeks. Um, and, and this year it was just, it was warm. So those first three weeks, you know, they were trying, but the birds are there as of yesterday. And, uh, the place is special. So I love being there and I'm I'm really I'm really blessed to grow that property too. They gave me an acre of land to do what I want. I have um, ten kennels built and a safe, wonderful Quonset hut and it's inside um, sixty five yard by thirty five yard wide exercise pen. I imagine a whole training facility in the next two years. You know, I cleared everything that was probably ten feet over my head and 70 years old <laughs> and <laughs> you know I did that this I did that this summer and uh I made it ready and I I, I, I took what was given to me with three tools a shovel a pickaxe and a sledgehammer oh no a steel rake and that's why I tell you I moved five tons of dirt and rocks with that steel rake and it held up and in 14 days, I had my dogs in in a really nice place that'll last for a long time, and to we'll add that on. So when the customers want to come in with their dogs, um, they'll have a you know a run with uh, barrels and hay and you know good warm, clean place to keep their dogs overnight because they're not allowed in the lodge.
0: Yeah, gotcha.
1: All right, cool, man.
0: Um, so. Covering a little bit of ground here, the uh, so your season starts mid September, rough grouse in Minnesota. When does quail season end in Arizona? When does your season wrap up?
1: It's a late season ends February 11th this year, so pretty much base uh, ten days into February.
0: Okay, so you're looking at you. You basically uh, it's a five month season. So really, really, you know, some people maybe think of their hunting season as you know couple two three months maybe and so i can see where where people might think hey what the heck does this guy do in the off season you know but so i mean you do have a quote off season but really your your hunting season is is five months right now and i know you guys know you guys have some other things in the works that we could uh could maybe talk about but um next thing i want to ask you is we talked about border to border we talked about sort of how you wound up here and I know the enjoyment you get out of your dogs and watching those dogs learn, grow, develop, but talk about the enjoyment or what you get out of guiding the people, you know, your clients, your friends, the people that you take into the woods, you know, maybe it's watching them shoot their first bird over one of your dogs. Talk about some of that stuff and kind of what you get back from, from border to border outfitters.
1: All right. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so it has to be, in order to be successful for the customers, you have to enjoy it. And you have to enjoy what their emotions are with them. Um, How do you give them emotions? Well, you either give them a good time or a bad time. And so I don't know if I'm, I guess maybe I am lucky, but... In the three years I've done this, I haven't had a bad day in the field. I can't believe it's not, it shouldn't even be true that I said that. But I've either had the most wonderful sportsmen completely through over 900 days of just being in the field, or they just are feeding off what I'm giving them, you know? Like, yeah, I've always believe that if someone's going to invest in you, then you need to give them 110% of your time. And it's not easy, but it comes naturally for me. And I don't know if maybe it's because of my childhood growing up. Like I was always around older people listening instead of running my mouth. And in doing that, I learned really how to act. And I believe that when you're guiding you're you're not just, you know, a guy with a handheld and dogs on the ground. You're 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 a tourist, or you're you're like a tour guide, or your database for having to ask answer all the questions that they have, or you know, or putting them in position for you're you got to be a dictator, I guess. Really, you know, I mean, so you have to play many sides. It's like such a psychological psychological stand of How do I act for this guy? Next day you got another guy that may need a whole nother act. So are you and now I'm an actor? Well, I like to be me, you know, like I don't like to change (laughs) who I am regardless of anything, you know? And so I think that's the best attribute that I can give the customer is that I'm glad you're here, you know. I'm not tired. You know, I'm ready for your day. I'm prepared for your day. I'm prepared for your hunt. And I'm prepared for you. You know, like, I'll handle anything you throw at me. And I'm going to come back with something to get you back on pace. You know, let's say we're having an hour. And I'll tell you, you come to Arizona, we're going to walk for an hour, and you ain't going to see a bird. But you can either make it a big old boring lull, or you can have a good conversation and talk about what's to come, and usually what's to come is is good things, and that's where we're at. I'm not. I, I closed my season. I'm done. I can't. I can't accept a customer this year. I've got customers coming in for the fourth time in three. I got a guy coming this week with his father. His dad's 81. Two years ago, they shot three triples off the Covey Rise, and on the last one. On the last one of the last day, we had a snow. And a covey of quail came up, and they put a triple down, and the tears came down. And I'm like, you never know when's the last covey rise. And I've done that now, fathers and sons, husbands and wives. And those moments never go away. And, you know, <laughs> we're all here because of instagram and we got all these pictures that we'll probably be looking at when we're like 30 years from now drinking a beer and a tailgate <laughs> like remember this but those moments those moments that you just don't get a, paint a picture of unless it's between your ears you know and that's kind of what i want to i want to offer you know i'm I'm not a killing artist i'm just a do- i'm just a guy that uh likes to run his dogs and, and hopefully you enjoy the way i run them
0: yeah, yeah, that's uh that's a really good point. I mean, you know, there's so many of us that are that are so deep into upland hunting. I mean, you know, talking about the experiences that we had in the field is is half if not if not more than half of the fun, you know, for the for the rest of the year when we can't hunt. So, I mean, for you to for you to be able to have, you know, it's you know, it's not like you can you can't take it for granted. I mean, in this your business takes constant work to keep it up and running, but when it's when it is up and running, you get to spend you know, countless days in the field with all sorts of different unique personalities and, and people from different walks of life and different backgrounds, and you get to see them, you know, you're sharing in, in their upland, you know, experiences and those moments that you mentioned. So I, I got to imagine from a guide's perspective, that has to be, you know, some of your biggest highlights, you know, of the season when you think back. That's the stuff you're going to remember, as, as you really alluded to.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, I, all right. I kind of got lost in that whole thing. Like, I was just like, <laughs> man, like, I'm sitting here, you're talking and rambling on and I was like, broom, broom, and I'm like, I'm sitting here just having a daydream session, so I apologize. Go ahead. <laughs> wow,
0: that's, that's all right, man. That's all right. It's, it's, it's easy to do. I often... Uh, I often find myself on many a day uh, lost in in thought about the uplands when I should be thinking about something else. um, Oh, oh, yeah, I wanted to – something you mentioned uh, when you were talking is that, you know, I totally understand where you're coming from when you talk about having to be a dictator in the field or or something else because, you know, I've – I don't guide obviously. Well, I guess I've done a little bit of volunteer guiding and and have had really good experiences with it. But even even if I'm taking somebody that doesn't have experience hunting over a pointing dog, you know, it's you never know exactly how somebody's going to approach a point and they they may have not the slightest clue on how to approach a point. So you really have to sort of, you know, when you're when you're taking care of somebody else out there in the field, you've got to, you know, you've got to help them out and you have to you've got to some people are really hesitant and tentative and that doesn't always work, especially in the grouse woods. Uh you can speak to that uh as far as the quail cubbies go a little bit better than I, but that's, uh, that's a big part of it, is sort of managing managing the actual hunting and, and working people around the dogs to set everybody up for success.
1: Yeah, and in, in every single point has a different scenario. You could be in yep. Montana on a prairie point. You could be in Minnesota on a grouse point. You could be in Kansas on some running roosters, or you could be in a canyon with oak trees on some really tight-holding quail and, you know, how do you optimize the best, uh, results for positioning for a shot? Um, and then that's where the respect comes in and you start to have to act like a guide again, you know? Um, I'm not used to telling a guy that is so successful in his life. I mean, his resume speaks, I should be calling you sir. I should have the most <laughs> respect for you. But I'm <laughs> That all changes, man. You are just a hunter when you get in my truck. <laughs> and yeah. I don't care what you did. I'm going to talk to you the way I need you to perform. And uh, that's kind of a funny kind of turn off switch for me because I wouldn't do that outside of the field.
0: You're in my world
1: now. So, and that's like a mutual respect. They they know that. They want that out of their guide. You know, they they need that direction. Um, and I love, I love it. I love it. You put Especially in quail, I mean, you get a Mern's quail, so they got this thing called the the. the I do the belly flush, and I, I really want to get a whip this year, but I don't. I don't have it yet. And I think by the end of the year, I'm going to be whipping my flushes. But so I do these like, I get down and I do these these kind of these crawls, you know. Um, I want my dogs to stay standing, and so. How do you do? How do you get in there and flush these birds and keep the guys shooting safe? Well, you do the Flanagan belly crawl. And, uh, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. So, you know, position the guys, position the guys, get ready for the flush, and then I go in for the crawl. Minnesota might be a little bit different, you know? Um, I'm always looking at, what's the range, range of your shotgun? You don't need to be on the flush. You got 40 40 yard kill zone. Why not get 25 yards flank, You know, and let's, let's expand our, let's expand our opportunities by not crowding around the flush zone. Um, so that's kind of, in a lot, to be honest, I did, I did some days with Steve Grossman last year, and I've never had a mentor in the field. So everything that I've done naturally or just picking it up as I went, was all based on success and failure of what worked and didn't work in the past. But I'd never had anybody take me and show me how it was done until last year when my customers um, wanted to do a grouse hunt and I didn't feel adequate to do it. So we went to Steve, he squeezed the man and I was able to stick by his side for that whole three day hunt. And it was my time to finally absorb what works for a guy with, 35 years in the business, you know, Mm
0: -hmm. and so
1: that was kind of, that was kind of a, my only degree in what I do, and I mean, I I I soaked it in in three days, but it made me better, you know, and and I use what I learned from him every day in the field, so, I mean, it's just, crazy how it came about I feel like I'm on top of my game but I feel like there's a long ways to go in everything I know I'm green I, I am um, but it, you can be green and you can still be good and you know there's there's athletes out there that are going into the league at 19 and, and, and hitting 290 you know um, they might not have all the right answers but they can still perform
0: yeah, you're you're 100% correct and you know the the you know you use the term green that's that's really subjective because you're not green compared to somebody that's never upland hunted before but you might be green compared to a guy like Steve Grossman who has been doing it for 35 years. So I, I I totally understand where you're coming from with that and I would just say that that you you know what you're doing in the field. I've hunted alongside you. I've hunted over your dogs and most important thing is you're humble. You know, you're 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 humble and you I don't believe that you take anything for granted and I, you know, I get that sense from you you know, every time we, we take the field together and, and chat and all that fun stuff. But it's, it's uh that's pretty cool to hear. you made it out with Steve Grossman. I've gotten to meet Steve a few times over the past few years. I mean, talk about a guy that uh, has been around the, around the grouse cover a time or two. I mean, he has, he's ran a successful rough grouse guiding operation for a long, long time in Minnesota and they, they've got a, they have a certain way that they go about grouse hunting, which I've heard some about and uh they are they're very knowledgeable people, Steve and his guides. So that's uh that that would be very cool for you to uh for you to kinda of work that experience in and, and take some of that with you. Um,
1: let's talk a little bit about And more to get his blessing, Will. you know, and to get his blessing <laughs> as a as a guy that's following in his footsteps, he knows that I need to be successful myself. You know? Yeah. And there's no there's nothing there but you know, just a boost. And I respect that. Um Okay, go on. Yeah, no problem.
0: Um we're uh we've covered quite a bit and and uh I've got a talk of questions. Dogs? Yeah, yeah.
1: Tell, I'd love tell, to tell go some... through the dogs. I mean, that that's what it's all about, man. I love yeah, these I... dogs.
0: I got to I, I've got to meet some of the new dogs on your string from from earlier this year when we when we uh, met up in uh, northern Minnesota. But yeah, let's uh, let's. So let's go P, on the Pete, your your order hit list. You,
1: Hank, Jack, Rita, Tommy, Nacho, Pearl, my new entry into the grouse woods. Traditionally, I have half a setter now. He's half Brittany. Yep. His name his name is Pace. Then you have Didi, and then your sweetheart P. Remember, you took that picture of P when she was a pup, and man, did she turn out to be something that I am really just in love with. Um, And then there's the new addition, Lily, and Lily's a pointer, and uh, I'm everybody knows I'm kind of kind of if I'm going to continue to to guide in the grouse woods. I'm going to kind of shift from the from my short hairs, which I love the athleticism of them and I got a few dogs that can that can point some grouse, but these pointers are they may be a better hunter, and so that's kind of the new thing as far as dogs um coming up. I just bought one today, I won't say, but it's T's brother i got i got i had to jump onto that uh <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but there's a mixture, you know, like Hank's the dog that I'll never have again. You know, he was, yeah. he's the leader of the pack. He's not going to wow anybody that didn't see him when he was five, but he's still the best dog in my strength. And it's like, what do I do? I tell people he's eight years old and they're like, no way. I'm like, yeah, I'll never do to a dog like I did to this. I mean, I I overran him. He's got miles on him, but he never aged. So I hope one day to get another dog like that. But then I started getting into these these dogs that are have a little bit more power, a little bit more, you know, go in them. And um, so now I'm trying to figure out, you know, where my future lies with the fact that man, I really. I'd like to retire Hank, you know, like, yeah, he's a great dog still. He can get it done and he can lead the way, but I kind of want him just to be mine, you know. So now I'm like a whole new phase is, well, where's, where's the future dogs? So now we're into the whole, what can I put together to continue this string? And so that's kind of a lot of fun. Um, you know, new part of the business that'll be coming up in the next few months. Um, Making dogs with the temperaments and the ability of the dogs that you have now, so that I can can continue to to guide um, with traits and personalities and stuff that fits customers. So thought I'd throw that out there, but I love the dogs. You know, I just wanted to to, to spit out the accolades of what I got. I mean, they're 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 not any. They're just dogs, man, but they're my dogs and they do well. Pace just had his first retrieve on a scale quail yesterday. And everybody's been teasing me about my little half breed. Yep. And he's a, he, he pointed a cubby of Merns the other day and he retrieved a a scale quail yesterday and there's, the dog could do no wrong. He is, he is Pace and he's going to be what he is, but I honestly believe in two years he's going to be a of a dog but he doesn't know what he is yet you know so I kind of treat him like my little uh, there's a couple nicknames for him some people call him Mr. Ed I, I'm okay with that I guess
0: but man he's got some fire in him I'll tell you that we uh I didn't actually hunt over him but but when we were sitting on your tailgate drinking a beer after uh after a day in the grouse was we you dropped him on the ground and he I think it was he and P that were burning around back and forth, kicking up dust. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. He's, he's, he's got he's, the fire under him. And, and he, you know, you you said he's a half, he's half setter, half Brittany. He looks exactly like a half, a dog that's half setter, half Brittany. I mean, he, fits, <laughs> he fits the name for sure.
1: Well, I was guiding a turkey hunt this year and we were sitting up against the hay bales and this guy, um, he's got a name in the business and he's, he's been through some dogs, man. He's, He's seen it all. And uh, he said, you know, the best guide dog I ever produced was a half setter and a half Brittany. And he goes, I couldn't keep them in stock. And the guys from Deseret, Texas called me one day later and he goes, get down here. And I'm like, why? He's like, I've got a half setter, half Brittany, and you got to have them. I'm like, Oh, it was like the stars just came down and shot me with a with a dose of half setter, and half Britney. And he's just he's a lot of fun, man. I I can't wait to just watch him grow. Well, the uh,
0: the Project Upland audience heard it here first. If they're looking for the best best bird dog, it's a uh, half Britney, half setter. <laughs> we'll, we'll let people take that for what it is, and they can go out and find one if they want one uh man all right let's uh i wanna ask you a little bit about because i know that uh you know border to border outfitters you guys have uh you got some things sort of in the mix and you had a you had a really good year this year i i believe as far as you know the actual business and uh and some other things going on on with it so tell us uh kind of uh what what's what's the outlook for for border to border outfitters and what does uh twenty eighteen look like for you
1: Oh, 2018 um, I'm excited uh, we did I, I did the rough grouse society's national hunt last year or, or, or this this October and uh, it worked it, it was it was the most cool it was the coolest thing I've ever been a part of and uh, I auctioned off a hunt um, at the at the banquet at the auction and it was so much fun to watch people bid on that, you know, and it just kept going up and up and up. And I'm like, keep going. <laughs> and so, so I think that was really good. And, and the showing, you know, like I put, I brought birds back to the tent each night. So like, I uh, I look forward to, you know, I always end in February and what am I doing? I'm looking forward to late September, you know, Yep. um, yep. as far as growth, I'm really just going to focus on the three areas that, you know, I have in my base, my found Minnesota, Kansas, Arizona. Yeah. Um, we're gonna, I think we're on pace to do about what we did last year, um, on quail. And, and then as far as, as far as growth, um, there's two, there's two members of the team that, uh, have made life changing, you, you know, uh, decisions. And uh, I can't do it alone anymore. And so Border to Border is now a team of three. And we'll release who those folks are um, in the upcoming. But uh, I I love where that's going. And it's a merger of dogs. And it's also going to help me with the overlapping portions of the season. So now, like, when it's time to come down and open up Burns Quail, we're still operating in Kansas. You know, the best hunting is in December. You know, I mean, why not continue that? Um, as far as Minnesota is concerned, I'm just going to build on what we have. The resort, the lodge is it's phenomenal. It, I mean, that's the best thing about booking a trip with Border Border. You sleep really well. In Minnesota, the food is phenomenal. You know, I had a customer drive all the way out from South Carolina, and at checkout, he told the owner, you are in the middle of nowhere. You do not have to have good food, and uh, <laughs> it's a choice. You know, like they could get by with nothing but cheeseburgers and French fries, but we're bringing in rough grouse and having it served with, you know, good wild rice and and, and a nice cream sauce. You know, I mean, it's just I'm I'm lucky to have what I have in our in our in our sleeping conditions for the customers. I don't think I need to grow too much on that. I've, I've actually booked out now, um, you know, each demographic area. So, yep. you know, now, now what are we going to do? You know, how are we going to grow? Um I think what we're going to do is just focus on no growth, but just more quality. You know, we're going to tone it down to, and management. I mean, we didn't get a chance to talk about management. I mean, I, my guy report weighed 400 pounds last year, you know, like how do you shoot birds like that and not do management? Yeah. And that, that to me is one of my most proudest parts is cause it's, it's what, it's, it's what sustains us to do it again the next day and the next week and next year and year after that. Um, how do we do better management? Um, I came upon a farm in, in Missouri, bobway quail, white-tailed deer. What do I got to do now? Um, I have a house, so there's more time on my hands where I'm more organized. I'd like to go in and and start managing that property. Um, maybe one day, you know, we'll have bobway hunts in Missouri on a farm. Um, to add to all this. I don't know. Like, I – obviously, I need to make money. It's a job for me. I I want to be successful at the job. But right now, it's just a passion game. And I'm just out there having fun, you know. There's – I don't know. I mean, there's got to be – there's got to be an end game. I I don't know if my body can hold up if I wasn't making any money, but you know as of right now, <laughs> I'm just having too much darn fun.
0: Hey man, I've seen you. I've seen you move through the grouse cover. You're uh, you're doing all right. You spend enough time chasing those dogs around. I'm sure those I'm sure those legs will hold up for a little while uh, for you for you to.
1: Seaboarder, uh, well, come see, see water to come, water come to the Burns Canyons. I, I know you. I know I know. After my pictures I sent you today, you're kind of like. Googling that uh that terrain to be uh, a future hunt for you, for you. I was indeed uh, And if you do come sleep. down you have to bring Garrett. It's a it's gonna, we're gonna have a little four horseman hunt, you know, and uh yep. I'll put you guys out in the back forty you can sleep outside like uh like I used to.
0: Well, you know, you and I know Garrett well enough to know that he probably wouldn't take too much convincing uh, to to make that happen. So we should probably uh, probably start chatting about that. Uh, what I, we're going to wrap this up, but I, I had to ask you because I just I want to know like what what does a really good day quail hunting down in AZ look like right now? I mean, like what are your weather conditions that you want to see? You know, not what you've had, but what's what does a really good day look like for you? Um, well,
1: a really good day. I call keener, you know, where you're in the teens. Um, so covey counts are based on boot leather, and you know, if I'm doing my job and I have the right customer, um, we can see a lot of birds. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of testimony to what I put people through, but you know the the, the days that I guided this season already um, were averaging like seven and nine. It's kind of really all we're doing right now, but they're seven and nine quality cubbies. Um, not working singles. It seems like the 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 dry conditions aren't really, you know, bringing a lot of scent um, to work the yeah. singles, which really I'm not really into because if they do get the birds off the rise, um, most most people just want to move on, you know, and and so I'd like to see. Maybe a change in weather patterns. I mean, for the last couple of years, December's really been kind of warm and dry, you know. And then by January and February, I mean, it's just now I'm in the zone, you know. Like right now it's preseason. And January just kind of, it's kind of like the turnkey mark where we've had enough recreational people coming down to hunt Burns Quail. And, and and they start tramping grounds and tramping grounds, and as they're tramping the grounds, new cubbies are forming and new places are forming, and then that's where I come in, you know, like kind of like to think that yeah, I can kind of elude the general population and kind of go back and and give you an experience that's all to yourself and your in your hunting party, um, and I, I think there's a big reason for the success that I have, you know, like it's uh i welcome everybody that comes to arizona because we have enough land and we have enough birds if you're going to conserve on the birds that you find go out and explore new birds after those birds you know but everybody else say hunters aren't desecrating populations the weather is you know and while we have the weather go ahead and take advantage of it, you know, like it was given to us. Game and Fish puts limits together based on data that they have. So if their limit is this, go after it, you know, go have a good time, man. I mean, we put a lot to come here. Sustainability, yeah. we're not in control all the time, you know. I mean, we're not. So I mean I I like the way things are going you know you have cycles you have ups and downs and everything but the point of it you didn't you you, you came out to go hunting you know and that's the process it's all it was, was squeezing the trigger and having the dog bring back a bird I mean, you just lost most of it you know so yeah even if it's a challenge it's the best challenge in the world you know huh. I just think that I'm not into the whole cycle thing, and again, maybe I'm riding the riding the waves of uh, better bird numbers. You know, we'll see when it goes down. Throw me on a podcast in a couple of years after a drought. Maybe I'm asking you for a job. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that day comes, but we will get you back on the podcast for sure. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back. Oh, well man. man, we uh we covered we covered a bunch of stuff. We kind of uh we kind of wandered to and fro, kinda of like we were following a good dog through some good cover and uh covered yeah, a bunch but- of it. But uh what just uh if if people want to get a hold of you, get in touch with you, find out more about border to border, that kind of stuff, where's the best place to go?
1: Borderborder.com or excuse me, border to outfitters dot com. Um, I love the Instagram stuff. Follow me on Instagram, border uh, to borderoutfitters. Take kind of it's like uh, take a lot of pride in that. I think it's good. Hopefully, others think the same. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about displaying um, my life with others. You know, uh, it looks like the gravy train, but there for everybody okay. to see and hopefully it portrays me the right way um, so yeah there's that but yeah and you can always um, just shoot me an email at border to border outfitters at gmail.com and that's the number two border to border outfitters at gmail.com.
0: Yep. Perfect. All right, man. Yeah. And you, know, you got the, you, uh, you put some, you put some time and effort into, into logos and, and hats and stuff. And you got some, you got some cool hats for people to check out. I mean, you, you definitely had success with that. So I, I encourage people to check out your website and, uh, and follow you on those places, Instagram and stuff. Cause it's, uh, you know, I mean, where I'm at season's kind of wound, wound down and, and for the most part over. So I just, uh, I, I I pull up Instagram and I look at I look at the border to border speed and, and watch other people shooting quail and following bird dogs through beautiful country. I mean that's uh that's that's what it's there for. So I uh I certainly appreciate appreciate what you do for sure, buddy. Thanks, Nick. Yeah man, well thank you uh thanks for joining us on the Project Upland Podcast. Like I said it was my pleasure to have you on and uh we'll look forward to having you on again and uh, and uh I'll look forward to uh to getting, getting out in the field or the woods somewhere next year and keep our tradition alive and, and following a good bird dog through some good cover, man. So uh, until then, I wish you the best. Have a great rest of the season. And uh, if you ever need anything, you let me know. But thanks for coming on to the podcast.
1: Always. Thanks, Nick.
0: All right. Take care, Pat. Bye. Hey, everybody. Nick Larson with the Project Dublin Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you again for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that, as always, we are brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Krause Camp. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Please don't hesitate to contact us via projectupland.com or by emailing me directly at nick.larson@northwoodscollective.com. at northwoodscollective.com.